It all started on an island prison called Patmos. But rather than submitting to the exile to which he had been thrust, John chose to worship. And somehow, on the Lord's Day, while he was worshiping, God showed up and gave him a vision of Christ on this throne that gave him power to endure. And not only to endure, but to encourage Christians to keep on. But that's not the only exile island where people have been encouraged to endure and have somehow found the strength to encourage others. If you go several thousand miles south of Patmos, eventually you'll find Robin Island off the coast of South Africa. It's a prison where for 18 of his 27 years spent incarcerated, Nelson Mandela fought against apartheid. The dream didn't die in prison. While the prisoners were supposed to be barred from singing, they chose simply to sing the songs of freedom even louder. And rather than silencing Mandela, he simply started to educate other political prisoners in what they eventually called Mandela University. While in prison in 1975, Mandela sent this letter to his wife. He starts off and he says, the cell, let's just stop right there. What if we replaced the cell with COVID? Because that's where we find ourselves isolated and exiled today, isn't it? We find ourselves in this place where we have more time to think, sometimes too much time. We find ourselves more separated and divided than ever. But what if this cell of COVID, just like it was for Mandela, can be a great place for us to learn? The cell, COVID, is an ideal place to learn to know yourself, to search realistically and regularly the process of your own mind and feelings. And judging our progress as individuals, we tend to concentrate on external factors, such as one's social position, influence, and popularity, wealth, and standard of education. But internal factors may be even more crucial in assessing one's development as a human being. Honesty, sincerity, simplicity, humility, pure generosity, absence of vanity, readiness to serve others, qualities that are within easy reach of every soul are the foundation of one's spiritual life. Development in matters of this nature is inconceivable without serious introspection, without knowing yourself, your weaknesses and mistakes, at least if for nothing else, the cell, COVID, gives you the opportunity to look daily into your entire conduct to overcome the bad and to develop whatever is good in you. Mandela concludes that letter with the famous line, Never forget that a saint is a sinner who keeps on trying. And today you can go to Robben Island, but not as a prisoner. The whole thing has been transformed into a museum to remember the evils of apartheid and to celebrate the freedom that now exists. And so I ask you, church, what's your island? Where is it that you feel most in exile? 
What is it that has separated you the most from others? Could it be that this cell of yours is a place where just as Joseph was formed in prison in the Old Testament, so you can be formed to become more like Christ today? That's the way the book of Revelation started. Today we look at how it ends. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Revelation chapter 21 or 22, or you can follow along on the screen as well. I want to remind you not just how Revelation started, though, but how the entire Bible started. If we look back to Genesis, we see that there was a garden. And in the middle of the garden, there were rivers. And within that river, there was a tree, a good tree, known as the tree of life. And God gave this first command, the first command in all of Scripture Gentlemen, you should memorize this one. Be fruitful and multiply was God's command. Amen to that, huh? Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. In other words, God wanted that garden to be more than two people. He wanted it to be a place of life. And so what we see in Revelation 22, what we will see today is that we see, once again, there is a garden. But this time, it's not at the beginning of creation, it's at the end of creation. We see this garden in the book of Revelation has a river running down through the middle of it, and a tree of life is there in the middle on both sides of the river. How a tree can be on both sides of the river, I have no idea, okay? But it's Revelation. And there, though, and the surrounding the garden is a city. It's a city. What we see is that God's plan in Genesis for humanity to be, fruit, to be fruitful and multiply without leaving the garden, in essence, is fulfilled in the book of Revelation. Oftentimes we have this view of Scripture, well, God had this plan in the city, and then God's plan failed. And Well, no, no, God's plan doesn't fail, okay? And if we have a view of earth that it's just supposed to be wadded up and thrown away at the end of history, that's what we have, is that earth is just some type of testing field to see if we're good enough to go to heaven or not. But what we understand is that God has been working through all of creation. His plan was never thwarted, and it was made complete in Jesus Christ, in His death and resurrection, and in His ultimate return, what we will have is heaven and earth coming together as one, finally, as He intended for it to be forever. And so that's where we start today. Uh, but I want to ask you this question as we start, because a lot of times we start with a question, well, how, how do I get to heaven? I mean, I've had a lot of conversations with those people that, that, that leads to people getting wet back there in that tank back there, right? How, how do we get to heaven? But I want to ask you a different question, because in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus starts off, uh, and as He's praying and teaching us to pray, He says, Your kingdom come, Your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. I think as Christians, we have to understand that there's a second part to this, uh, this prayer. It's not about us getting to heaven, but as followers of Jesus, it's how can I bring heaven here? 
How can I bring the parts of the hope of heaven that we know will be there when Christ returns? How can I bring that hope here today? I often ask my kids this question, well, how did you bring heaven here today? And they kind of looked at me goofy when I first started asking them. Now they answer. And of course, if, if Tyler says, well, I punched some kid in the face today. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. That, you might have helped him see heaven and stars, but that's not how it happens. And yeah, if, if, Nora, if Nora said that, I'd say, great job, great job. You, you, hit, that, you hit that kid. That's right, you know. I don't think that's ever going to happen. But. How can we bring heaven here? I want to give you seven shifts today. And as I was looking through the passage, I wound up with seven shifts. And since the book of Revelation, the best number in the book is seven, I thought it must be a sign from God that I should just go with it, even though normally I would never give you seven shifts. So we need to fly through these today. So forgive me if I talk a little faster than normal. Revelation 21, verse 22, we jump in. We see, John says, I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. So what we understood is that God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. There was no need for a temple in the Garden of Eden because He literally walked with them. But then what we see as, as Israel came to be, and they had their wilderness tabernacle, it was, it was just a big tent really, and then as they built the temple, people understood that that was a connecting point between heaven and earth. It was a place where heaven and earth, in that one spot, in that moment, that it overlapped. And what we understand as we read the New Testament is that we are God's temples. That we are temples of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are. That we are meant to be places where instead of just having one place where heaven and earth overlap, that we are all to be places where through our love, through bearing the image of God, through living as Christ has called us to live as sacrificially, we can be places where heaven and earth overlap too. And so what we understand here is shift number one is from sacred spaces to sacred faces. It's not about building temples. I've walked in some temples where you're like, man, it's amazing. It feels like a holy place. But that's not Jesus' intention. Jesus' intention is that, that we would bear the image of God. We would be spirit bearers as well. That we would live with the Holy Spirit in such a way that we are a part of bringing heaven and earth together. And part of that is that we choose to see the image of God in each and every person. And that means that we have to see the image of God in our enemies. Whether our enemies work across the desk from us, or whether it is the enemy that sits across the table from us at dinner. My guess is, as you have someone who has come into your mind as I've talked about having an enemy, my question for you is, how can you see the image of God in each and every person, starting with your worst enemy? How is it that you can value them as a unique part of God's creation? You can see it in your enemy. You can see it in anybody, can't you? Shift number one is from sacred spaces to sacred faces. See the image of God in each person. Revelation 21, verse 23 continues. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the, lamp, the Lamb is its lamp. 
The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no light there. Shift number two is from darkness to light. But the question we ask here is, how will we extend the light of Christ to the darkest and most dangerous places? The reality is, is that a dark city is not the safest place to be. Most of us probably don't live downtown, but if you ever go downtown for a big event to an arena or to a ball game and it gets out late at night, maybe you had to park a little further away than normal, you've probably felt part of that fear when you look down an alley you had to walk down that you didn't feel very comfortable. I know I've felt this when we were in Malaysia and we found a shortcut to take at night through some slums to get to the part of the city we had to go to. It was probably not a good idea because a lot of bad things happen in the dark, don't they? And what this passage is promising here is that all the dark places will be lit up. There will be nowhere where you are afraid to walk because God's presence will be there. So how can we bring light into some of those darkest places? The issue comes back to one of justice. How can we be people who bring the justice of God as a part of bringing heaven and earth together? Hammer and Hank Aaron died on Friday. You might remember his exploits on the baseball field, hitting 755 total career home runs. You may not have known that he grew up in the deeply segregated South. Baseball was his only ticket out of there. And he was quite happy when he wound up going to be a part of the Milwaukee Braves. And for the first several years of his career, that's where he spent them wound up becoming a 25-time All-Star. But in 1966, he received the news that the Milwaukee Braves would now become the Atlanta Braves. And he would have to go back as the highest-paid player in Major League Baseball, and as a black man, would have to go back to the segregated South, the South that was trying to come out of segregation, but many people were holding it back. As he stood on the verge of breaking Babe Ruth's home run record, you may not know that Hank Aaron was also receiving 3,000 pieces of hate mail on average a day from people who did not want to see a black man break a white man's record. Hank read those letters and even kept some of them. How, I don't know how, he kept on going with such grace as pretty much everyone will tell you who knew Hank Aaron, that he was a person filled with amazing grace. He fought for justice, but he was a person who did it graciously. He ended 1973 with 713 career home runs, one short of tying Babe Ruth, and was convinced because of all the letters that he was receiving that he would be assassinated in the offseason. And yet on April 4th, 1974, Al Dowling threw a 1-0 fastball a bit too high, and Hammer and Hank turned on it and deposited it into the left field bullpen at Atlanta's Fulton County Stadium. And there as he rounded the bases, over 50,000 Atlantans stared, stood and cheered with him, probably some cheering who had even written him letters earlier. I wonder how we can be a light in the midst of the darkness. 
Because Hank wasn't someone who could just hit home runs. He was someone who used his influence to inspire others, to fight for others. And I wonder how we can be more than just ballplayers, how we can be more than just doing our job, but how we can use it as a platform to bring light in the midst of darkness. I'm only through two points, so I must hurry. But here is verse 26 of Revelation 21. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it, meaning the city. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anything who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. The shift here is shift number three from impure to pure. How will we partner with Christ to remove areas of our lives that are not like Christ? So here we see in back-to-back verses, we see one dealing with justice, the next one dealing with purity. The reality is, is that liberal churches like to talk about justice, but not about sin. Conservative churches like to talk about sin, but not about justice. I don't want us to be a conservative or a liberal church. I want us to be a biblical church. That means if it talks about it in the Bible, we talk about it here. Because our hope isn't in liberals or conservatives or in moderates. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. And so we must shift from impure to pure and deal with the sin that is in our lives. Revelation 22, verses 1 and 2. This is where it starts to get good. Then the angel showed me the river, remember the river, of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On every side, or each side of the river stood the tree of life. Remember the tree of life? Bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. That is a good fruit tree right there. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. I have no idea what that means, but it's one of the most beautiful verses in Scripture. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. But as I go about and see nation after nation that's dysfunctional and come back home to this one that has its own dysfunction going on, I understand that it's a beautiful, beautiful picture, isn't it? The shift that we see here, shift number four, is from death to life. How will we bring life in a culture of death? I know I saw one girl who did it quite well. Her name was Gianna Jessen. I was a senior in high school sitting in church when she spoke that Sunday evening. Gianna is an abortion survivor. Not meaning she survived having an abortion, but she was aborted and yet survived. As she goes around the country talking about the horrors of abortion, she doesn't just talk about the horrors of it. She talks about the beauty of forgiveness as she has had to forgive her own mother as well. And if she can overcome that, my guess is is that you and I can overcome the bitterness in our lives too, can't we? So how can you go from death to life? Maybe you were an addict and now you're clean. Maybe you had anger problems and now you're through it. Or maybe you're still dealing with both of those issues. You can help shed the light of Jesus Christ by showing how you are getting through and how you are finding healing. Because our God is not a God of death. He is a God of life. And He has come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. 
Shift number four is from death to life. Verse three, no longer will there be any curse. You remember in the garden, that was what ruined the garden, wasn't it? The sin that entered it, there was a punishment for that sin. And that curse was death that we brought upon ourselves. And here we believe that Jesus Christ bore that curse at the cross so that we would be cursed no more. And in the book of Revelation, we see that the curse of sin and death has been completely removed from humanity. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We see the number shift number five is from cursed to blessed. How will we partner with bringing God's blessing to all nations? How will we help people living in the midst of curse to see the blessings of God? Yesterday, we had a funeral here for Joe Sims, longtime elder here, great servant's heart. And of all the different things that Joe did in his life and all the different ways that he served, one stood out to me. And that is that he was a mentor to two kids through big brother and big sister. He took kids who had probably experienced a lot of curses in their lives. The curses of growing up in a family that might not have been unified. The curses of growing up in poverty. The curses of growing up without. And he chose to invest in them. I wonder who is it in your life that is surrounded by curses and that needs you to be the blessing. Just as God promised us in Genesis that we are blessed not merely for ourselves, but we are blessed to be a blessing. If you are blessed and aren't blessing somebody else, then you might not be as blessed as you think you are. Take that blessing and extend it to others. Second half of verse 3, it says, The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face. Remember Moses? Like he was the only one who could even see God, and God only like let him see like the backside of him when he walked by. And yet it says here that we, not just they, let's, let's make this clear, we will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. I have no idea what that means either, but I don't think it's a tattoo. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever and then in Revelation 22, verse 17, it says, The Spirit and the bride, that's us, the church, the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Shift number six is from restricting to inviting. The kingdom of God is not about having it all together and hanging out with other people who have it all together. But the kingdom of God has come to the most broken and the poorest and, and the most sinful people because the message of Jesus has come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Not I will give you more laws or more regulations, but I will give you rest. I will give you peace. Shift number six is from restricting to inviting. How will we extend the invitation of Christ to all? And one of the answers to that is we can't just be people who invite. We must be people who go. 
We must be people who cross the borders that are in our culture and in our cities and in our political systems and make sure that everybody knows that this table is open for all and there is plenty of bread and wine to go around. And finally, Revelation 22, 7, 12, and 20 says, Look, behold, you knew I had to get one more behold in this series, right? Behold, look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. Verse 12, look, behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I give each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Shift number seven is from now to not yet. From now to not yet. The reality is is that whenever we even have that, come Lord Jesus, I've heard that a lot more in 2020 and 2021 than I ever have before in my life. Because we can get so settled in the things of this world, the things of right now, the pleasures, the desires of right now, that we forget that we were created for heaven and earth to be one, not to find our pleasures in earth. And so the question I have for you is, can you really cry that out? Come, Lord Jesus, come now. Because that's not just saying that we want Him to come now, but that we want the things of heaven to be at work in our lives right now. We must shift from now to not yet. The things that we see, we must take stands, we must must move forward with radical love in such a way that people understand that we are not living for this world. But we are living for the world that is to come when the new heaven and the earth are here and when Christ is in the center of it all and where there will be no more mourning or weeping or crying or sin or death for those things have all passed away. How will we put our hope in the coming Christ instead of the things of this world? Janie Chaney, say that real t- ten times real fast. Janie Chaney tells the following story. During the late days of the Roman Empire, a monk visited Rome and out of curiosity joined the crowds headed into the Colosseum. As he sat down to watch whatever had drawn the crowd, he was horrified to see men fighting each other to the death while the spectators cheered them on. He headed down the steps and into the ring at the center and put himself between fighting gladiators and cried out, Friends, for Christ's sake, stop! After a brief pause, one of the gladiators killed the monk with his own sword. As the man of God bled to death in the center of the great Colosseum, the jeering crowds were silenced, stunned, and shamed. A few started to trickle out, and then like a dam had broken, they all flooded out, and the arena was never again stained with human blood. That's one version of the story. It's an old story, and you know how old stories get. The more accurate version of the story is that the monk's name was Telemachus. And while visiting Rome was shocked by the gladiatorial games, his effort to stop them enraged the crowd who then stoned him to death. It appeared that Telemachus had not only enhanced the entertainment that day, but then when Emperor Honoris heard the story, he was moved by it and chose to immediately ban the gladiatorial games. I don't know which one is 
completely true. Either way, a horrible and barbaric act was ended in the name of Christ by a person who was willing to lay down his life. But here's the other side of the story. Our friend Telemachus, our friends probably just called him Telly, never got to see the fruit of his labor. The last thing he saw was either a spear being thrust through his abdomen or a stone headed towards his head. But his act of bravery in the name of Christ undoubtedly saved thousands of lives and for the first time introduced an ethics to sports that had been so badly missing. And in doing so, he brought a little bit of heaven here, didn't he? Would you be willing to lay down your life to bring heaven here, even if you never saw the results this side of your own resurrection? Telemachus wasn't the first, neither was Peter or Paul. Jesus was. Jesus laid down his life, and the last things he saw was his mother weeping, his disciples fleeing, and his father shrouded behind clouds of darkness. But on resurrection morning, he knew that his efforts to bring heaven here were not in vain. Friends, may we go and follow the likes of Telemachus, Peter, and Paul, and yes, Jesus himself, by laying down our lives to bring more and more of heaven here. And on that day when the sky is finally ripped open by the nail-pierced hands, and when the trumpet sounds and the Lord descends with a loud shout, I promise you, Every sacrifice will have been worth it. Father, we come to you as the one who longs to bring heaven and earth together. The one who wants to dwell among his people so badly that Jesus, you came, laid down your life, your sinless, blameless life so that we could experience freedom. Freedom from our sin that we have chosen. Freedom from death that's a consequence of sin. God, what we long to see is heaven to come here. And so we cry out with John, the writer of this great book. We cry out with him, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we don't just mean your return. We mean bring heaven here through us. Come quickly in our lives. May we not cling so much to this world that we get distracted by it, that we get blinded by it. But may we choose to see you and to see you clearly and to bring as much heaven here as we wait for you to bring it all. We ask it in the name of Christ. Amen.